We're going to go to the book of Jonah, if you would. Book of Jonah again. And hit the uh, second message in this uh, series of Jonah, character study. We're in chapter 1. So you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Jonah. There's a couple in there in between, but it's roughly that. That's what you're looking at. Um, if you have my Bible, it's on page 650, just to help you out, okay? I'll help you out. All righty, Jonah, chapter 1. We talked last week about the duty Jonah was given, and now tonight we're going to look at how Jonah blatantly disobeyed what God told him to do. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and then it says that Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish. Let's read uh, verse 3 is the only one, this is the only verse we're going to look at here in Jonah, but then we'll look at some others. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, what a dumb thing to do. What a disappointment for a prophet of God. Uh, we expect our heroes, especially the Bible heroes uh, that we read about, to act courageously and nobly and do the right thing. And But even those heroes in the Bible are human. Even they have the old nature, just like we have, and they can and sometimes do fail. Now, that makes them more like you and me than you might think, because we often look at uh, super big failures in the Bible, children of Israel or individuals, and think, what a bunch of knuckleheads. And then we got to remember, we do the same thing. How many times have we run to Tarshish when God is telling us to do something? So these failures are not here to discourage us, but to help us and to see what we can learn from them. So I want to do that tonight as we break down Jonah's disobedience, and I think we can see some things. We'll find ourselves in this if we're at all honest and look. But Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray you'd help us now in the next few minutes here that we might uh, see something that can specifically be a help to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at the spontaneity of the disobedience. He didn't waste any time uh, running to Tarshish once he got the order to go to Nineveh. He did not choose to accept his mission, like Mission Impossible. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it? He did not, chose not to. God's orders came in verse 2. His disobedience began in verse 3. So immediately, the action came so quickly that it almost makes your head spin. He gets up to flee, then he's in Joppa, then he finds a ship, he pays the fare, and then the next thing you know, he's down in the ship. Uh, but though it happens fast, uh, it was not really spontaneous because spiritual failure does not happen accidentally. When we fail spiritually in our life, uh, we long before the outward failure, there's usually an inward deterioration with our relationship with God. Uh, we sin inwardly in thought and desire before we take that step outwardly. There are lots of little falls in our life before the big fall happens. Have you ever heard of a preacher, maybe a famous preacher, someone that morally fails big time and it's just a shock? I've had people I respect highly and, and uh, even in, in, as independent Baptists and, and had moral failures. And uh, long before that big fall happened, there's some things going on in the mind and behind the scenes. David's fall with Bathsheba was preceded by a dereliction of his duty. He stayed home when he should have went out to battle, and then he had the fall with Bathsheba. In Jonah's case, we can assume that his 
spiritual health was failing, that he was uh, not the type of man he should have been before this moment in his life. Otherwise, his quickness to disobey probably would not have happened the way it did. Now, let's look at the other side of the coin. You remember Moses in Genesis chapter 22? Moses, uh, <clears throat> not Moses, Abraham. God comes to Abraham, says to go and sacrifice your son, your only son, whom thou lovest. Sacrifice him. Kill him on an altar. Now, Abraham did not hesitate. He gets up early the next morning, loads up his stuff, and gets his son, and they head off to the mountain to go do what God had told him to do. That's the difference between somebody who is has a right relationship with God and somebody who's got some things going on that maybe others don't realize, but there's some things going on inside and uh, failures in his life. So, But notice again the eagerness here, because often men are more ready to do what it says in Micah 7.3, to do evil with both hands earnestly. Uh, that idea of uh, doing evil with both hands rather than doing good with just one hand. Uh, drawing near to God is often done at a snail's pace, while departure from God is done by leaps and bounds. The reason for this is very simple, and we don't like to hear it because it hits us where we really where we are, but we feed the flesh. And this makes the flesh healthy and vigorous in our life, but we starve the spirit so that it's almost lifeless sometimes. If we just stop for a moment and consider how much time we spend feeding our flesh versus feeding our spiritual, uh, our spirit, it would not surprise us then why we have a hard time uh, obeying when God calls on us. We watch TV hour after hour, but only the Bible for a few minutes a day, and and, and that's just one example. But uh, when we're confronted then with a divine plan like Jonah was, or we're confronted with a strong temptation like David was, uh, then we often run quicker to disobedience than to obedience because of what we're feeding in the meantime. So keep a watch. That's why the Bible says to keep our heart with all diligence. And we have to keep a watch on the, uh, are there places in our life that are slipping? Uh, are we losing ground to the devil? Are there worldly habits and philosophies that are creeping into our mindset? Uh, if those things are there, it's gonna, we're going to be an easy target for a sudden fall. So, that's the spontaneity. Then look at the separation of disobedience. It's interesting because Jonah, in his disobedience, wanted to separate himself from God. He wanted to put as much distance as possible between himself and God. Twice we're told that Jonah's actions took him from the presence of the Lord. Now, in one sense, uh, this is impossible. You're not going to run from the presence of God. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. In fact, Psalm 139.7 talks about this. It says, Where, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. There's no place I can run to, the psalmist said, that you aren't there, because God is everywhere. This term here is not in a reference to God's omnipresence, uh, that attribute, but for example, in, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, it says that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord after he killed Abel. This was not leaving the omnipresence of God, but it was the place where Cain worshipped God. It was the place where he heard from God. It was a place where uh, the word of God was declared. Uh, Gen Jeremiah twenty three thirty nine. God himself said to disobedient Israel, I will cast you out of my presence. Again, not that he's not omnipresent anymore, but what it did mean is that they were going to be separated from some of their spiritual privileges. The presence of the Lord does not always refer to the omnipresence of God. It can refer to 
uh, our place of worship, where we hear from Him, uh, where uh, the, the place of prayer. In that light, it's very possible to flee the presence of God in our life when we quit church. Uh, we're going to places we shouldn't go. We're spending time with people we shouldn't be around. Uh, that's the idea that we have here. It's not that we can get away from Him, because Jonah found out you're not getting away from God. Uh, he's going to be wherever you go. Uh, he's going to find you. So it's not like we can flee from Him, but we can certainly be away f- uh, from our spiritual privileges, and we need to be careful with that. Sin does not like the presence of God. And this is because the reason sin doesn't like it, the reason people often don't like the presence of God is because it is intolerable to a rebellious spirit. And when we have a rebellious spirit, uh, we don't like to be around the presence of God where we're constantly reminded of it. The last place a disobedient Christian wants to be is in church where the Word of God is preached. That's the last place you want to be. And uh, we've probably been there a time or two in our life where we're not really doing what we should be doing. We don't have the right attitude. We don't have the right spirit. And church time comes around and we just don't quite feel like going. Because you know how those preachers are. They preach on our sin. Have you ever been there before? I've had people ask me, did my wife talk to you? And uh, no, I don't, I don't target anybody uh, in, in preaching at all, but sometimes uh, it, it happens that way, and uh, that's because the Spirit of God is behind the preaching of the Word of God, and he'll, he'll find you the way that God does. Remember what Adam and Eve first did? First time, the very first thing they did when they sinned, remember what they did? They hid themselves. They all of a sudden didn't want the presence of God. They wanted to get away from the presence of God. And now God comes and he was communing with them in the cool of the garden. He was walking with them. He was spending time with them. They didn't want to have anything to do with that because sin separates us and we don't want to have anything to do with the presence of God when that happens. Now, look at the, in quotes, success of the disobedience. He had some success. He found a ship that was going to Tarshish. Everything seemed to be working out for Jonah with his plan to run. He had traveled to Joppa without incident. He found a ship that was going where he wanted to go. And uh, it was was not success, though, even though he might have thought it was. And sometimes when we think things are working out well, we conclude it as approval, and that's not necessarily true. There's two things we need to realize about success and disobedience. Uh, There's an expectation of this success. Once the person decides to leave the will of God, the way will be found because the devil will see to that. It's very easy to run from God. Satan always makes the very, initially, makes it very easy to run from God. There'll be somebody to take you in. There'll be somebody to encourage you in that. Uh, there are plenty of ships waiting in the harbors of life, ready to transport the rebellious person on his evil way. There's always a way uh, away from God. And this life, uh, this life that we live in, our society that we live in, seems to give more encouragement and support for doing evil than for doing good. Satan is doing all he can to help you and encourage you to get away from where you should be and to the place where you shouldn't. Just because it's easy to do wrong does not justify it. We need to remember that. And then the evaluation. You can evaluate circumstantial success by either the world's standards or by the word's standards. Evaluating by the world's standard would quickly conclude here that Jonah's conduct must have been acceptable because... He was, everything was working out for him. Uh, he was finding everything uh, exactly how, what he needed to do that. Uh, these are the kind of people that turn circumstances almost into a kind of Bible uh, that leads them because God must approve because he's blessing me. Things are working out. 
That's not always the case. When providence smiles on you and everything seems to be working out, it's easy to argue your case that you're doing the right thing. We can claim God's blessing, even though that might not be the case. A promotion in business that comes because of compromise doesn't mean God's blessing you. A, uh, a, a, a good job offer that takes you out of church doesn't necessarily mean that God's blessing you. So Matthew Henry said this, and kind of sums up what I'm trying to say. The ready way is not always the right way. The e In fact, the easy way is rarely the right way. And uh, we need to remember that. In Jonah's case, the word very plainly shows that finding a ship going to Tarshish was not a success. The word, God, uh, the command, God's word, told him to go to Nineveh. And all the success in the world is not going to nullify what God told him to do. He was to go to Nineveh, and he was not doing it. And smiling circumstances do not uh, shouldn't be interpreted as approval. Now, look at the spending here of the disobedience. Disobedience is not free. It costs us, and it costs us a lot. But Jonah paid the fare. All those who go to the Tarshish of disobedience will discover that there is going to be fares to pay. But there was an eagerness to pay here. There's no free rides to the devil's playground, all right? There's always going to be a cost. But Jonah paid this fare without hesitation. There's no arguing, uh, no attempt to sneak on board without paying his fare. And later on, Jonah's not going to be so happy with the price he pays for his choice. But at the beginning of evil, we find the, that the disobedient are more willing to spend. Uh, it's interesting that man seldom resents the expenses to carry out his own will. Did you ever notice that? Uh, when someone's bent on their own thing, and, and go, even if it's the wrong direction, we're not so bothered by what we have to spend to do it. We're very reluctant to spend doing God's will, but we're not that reluctant to spend doing our will. Uh, spiritual expenses are regulated uh, with great scrutiny, but carnal expenses abound and are accepted readily. Uh, that's not usually near as much of a problem. The Jonas of the world will gladly pay the fare to Tarshish, but the cost to go into Nineveh is just too high. And they, won't, they, they don't want to get involved in doing what God wants them to do because the cost is too much, but when it's the cost of doing what they want, they'll gladly pay. As a matter of fact, we could say that our spiritual condition is largely determined on what we're willing to spend our resources on. And if it's for worldly things and it's for our own fleshly desires... Uh, but not God's uh, plan, then, then that'll tell us something about our spiritual condition. Jonah paid the fare more than he realized when he bought his ticket for Tarshish because disobedience ultimately is very expensive. It's much more expensive than its initial costs. As I said, when you plan to run from God, Satan is always going to make a way. It'll seem easy at first, but it's never easy in the end. It never stays easy. The fare that Jonah paid to get on the ship was just the beginning of what he's going to have to pay. And it was going to get very expensive. He's going to continue to pay. It's going to cost him his peace of mind, his good conscience, eventually his testimony. The initial expense was only the tip of the iceberg. Disobedience always leads to more and more spending. It'll always cost you more than you want to pay. Remember the prodigal? He learned that lesson real fast. The Bible says in Luke 15, 14, he spent all in disobedience. He lost everything he had, and it cost him much more than he wanted to pay. Samson 
is a great example of the cost, the terrific cost of disobedience. Uh, the, I, the, I mean, it cost him uh, in the end. Now, the early trips to Philistia, that was not a big deal. When he first started being disobedient, everything worked out. Everything seemed to go fine. He met the girl of his dreams there, and, and uh, everything seemed to be hunky-dory at the beginning. But at the end, it cost him his hair, his eyesight, his strength, his judgeship. In the end, it cost his life. Obedience is the best economical policy known to man. Disobedience is an economical disaster. It'll cost you so much more than you want to pay. Obedience spends its resources on things of value. Disobedience throws away its resources on junk. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Yet many spend everything they have for just a little bitty part of the world, uh, much less the whole world, and we, uh, we allow ourselves to get suckered into that. Uh, next, I'm going to look at the stumbling of disobedience. It's impossible to walk on the path of obedience without going down. We see this over and over in this text. It says twice he went down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. Later in chapter 2, verse 6, it says that he went down into the bottom of the sea after he was thrown overboard. Uh, he went down physically. Every time the Bible uh, records that Jonah went down. It's actually referring physically location because from Hepfer, where he's from, to Joppa was down geographically. And then he went down into the ship. That was physical. And there's also, a, a, when he went into the fish, he also went down further. But often when the Bible mentions a physical descent, it's a really a spiritual lesson attached to it. And we also see that he went down spiritually. Went down describes what was happening to him in his spiritual life, in his attitude about God, his relationship about God, his service for God, all of these things were in the downward spiral. Disobedience never lifts a person up. It always lowers you if you disobey. We speak in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, what do we call it? The fall. We don't call it the rise, we call it the fall. Because sin always takes us down, down, down. Yet the world acts like sin, the way, the way up is uh, through sin. Moving up in the world is only a mirage. Lying might get you a sale or cheating might get you an A. But in the end, it's never really moving up. It'll never pay off in the end. Jonah went all the way down uh, from being God's man, God's chosen prophet, to being rebuked by a heathen, unsaved shipmaster. Chapter uh, or verse number six. That's a, quite a descent. And again, we can't look at it as a sudden fall because a lot of little falls happen in our life before the big fall happens. And we want to be careful there. He went down continually. Once you start sinning, you sin more and more unless you're rescued by the grace of God. One went down in Jonah's life led to another went down, which led to another went down. Took him further down every time. One sin makes it easier to commit another sin. Each sin breaks another fiber of resistance to evil, and you can do more and more easier and easier. Once Jonah got that sinful slide downward, he kept on going down, down, down. He went, he went down until literally he was at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, quite literally, from the hills of Zebulun to the bottom of the Mediterranean. It's quite a slide. But once you start sinning, it's hard to get off that downward slide. We've seen that if, if you've raised kids, if you've had friends, or maybe even in our own lives, where we start a downward slide, and it's hard to stop once we start. It takes the grace of God. Once you take that first drink, 
Once you start flirting with immorality, begin skipping church, uh, close your Bible, and leave it on a shelf. Uh, these things are very easy to continue. I remember during the uh, pandemic, one of the phrases I used a lot and heard a lot is uh, uh, the problem with missing church is that soon you won't miss church and uh, because it comes easier and easier uh, to go on that downward slide. Look at then the society of disobedience. One of the marks of disobedience is the worldly crowd that we associate with. Our text takes time to point out here who Jonah was traveling with, and it wasn't Christians, wasn't godly people, it was ungodly pagan sailors. Men will travel with the crowd that makes them the most comfortable. I, as a youth pastor, I must have said it a million times to those kids. Uh, you show me who your friends are, I'll show you what you will be. Because we, we hang around who we're most comfortable with. In our character, we'll also be with those that make us the most comfortable. Lot, where was he comfortable? Around the men of Sodom. I mean, he, the Bible still calls him a righteous man, but there were some serious problems in his spiritual life that he was more at home with Sodom than he was with Abraham. Uh, Ahab was more comfortable around Jezebel than he was around Elijah. And so we shouldn't be surprised when carnal church members sometimes leave the church and either quit going altogether or go to a more liberal church or someone who they, uh, uh, a more worldly place because they will seek out a crowd that makes them the most comfortable. The sinner doesn't mind the world's company because it will not rebuke him. But as I said before, when a person starts sliding away from God the way Jonah was doing here, church is the last place you want to be. Around God's people, uh, this is where conviction sets in. We don't like conviction. Look at the stupidity of disobedience. It's very obvious that disobedience is a very stupid act. Amen? It's a stupid, stupid act. No one makes a greater fool of themselves than he who goes contrary to the will of God. And Jonah tried to escape God uh, by, uh, by uh, well, ended up colliding with him, tried to escape him, but ended up colliding with him because that's what always happens. God will find you wherever you're at. And uh, he didn't want to go, go to all the trouble of going to Nineveh, uh, but he only ran into more trouble. And this is how it is in our life. When we think we are avoiding a, the unpleasantness of God's will, and we're running to an easier life, we're always, always going to have a harder way. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And people sometimes run from what God wants them to do, but the most fulfilling, the most satisfying, the best life you'll ever have is to be right where God wants you to be. And this is what Jonah learned the hard way. The Apostle Paul spoke about this folly in Romans 1.22. Professing themselves to be wise they became fools. Uh, because people who think they can outrun God or run away, they'll end up finding out the foolishness of all that. Um, the, the idea that we, can, that, that, uh, that we can either run away from God's presence is, uh, is a very foolish one, and that will show out in the end. So I, that's my challenge this evening. Um, it's a short, ver a short kind of challenge here. Uh, but I'm taking these verses as we go, these different uh, subjects. But disobedience, uh, the takeaway, disobedience is foolish. Disobedience is dumb. Um, we're never going to outrun God. We, we're going to try to separate ourselves from the presence of God, just like Adam and Eve did, just like Jonah did. But we're always going to find him in the end, or he'll find us, amen? And uh, that won't be so pleasant.
Thank you, Father, for the passage. I pray you'd help us.